May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today is a joyous day, and not just because it's the Feast of Pentecost. After a year, or maybe it's been two, our beloved Colonel was able to read the Epistle lesson for us again this morning. And it may not have been from the lectern, but with his voice, we all know that he could read from the lectern or the back of the church or perhaps even outside, and we'd all still be able to hear him. And how apropos that it was today on the Feast of Pentecost that he read again, because as we consider that mighty sound that filled the place where the disciples were... That day, it's like having our own God voice back bellowing from the rafters, so to speak. Andrew read for us today from Acts chapter 2, and permit me to reread a portion of that passage again. Acts chapter 2, starting with the second verse, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Today I want to look at some of the visual and the physical descriptions of what St. Luke said there. And I want us to consider how such descriptions teach us of the the nature and the ministry of the Spirit of God. And anyone who knows me knows that I like to present things with the use of alliteration. So the three things to notice today are first, the source, second, the sound, and third, the sight. The source, the sound, the sight. And suddenly there came from heaven. This is the first aspect to note. The Spirit comes upon them from heaven. And this is an important element to the story because it expresses the source of this event and the source of what is about to happen. What we see here is an external anointing. The source is from heaven. The source is from God. We hear a lot in our day and age about the power that we have within ourselves and what we can do and what we can accomplish for ourselves. You have the power to be this. You have the power to be that. All you need to do is put your mind to it. You can do whatever you want and be whatever you want to be. We're told to make a name for ourselves, as I talked about last week, to show ourselves and our abilities in a spotlight for others to see. And yes, there are elements of truth in those statements. I won't deny that a a godly ethic leads to a good work ethic, and a good work ethic leads to good things. We do have to put forth hard work to achieve things. We do have to study hard. We do have to discipline ourselves. We do have to labor with determination to obtain and reach certain things in life. I tell my children that. And I'm sure that y'all do or did tell your children that same as well. But the notion that we have the power in and of ourselves to do all things, the idea that we can be self-sufficient, 
The idea that we can build a name for ourselves, well, that's not a biblical or Christian perspective at all. It's actually just the opposite. St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, something you see a lot of athletes quote or put on their uniform somewhere, I can do all things which seems to support this individualistic and self-empowered mindset. But Paul is quick to follow that up with the important qualifier. I can do all things through whom? Through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses and to go forth to do the work of the kingdom. But he also told them to wait until they were what? empowered by the Spirit. Just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 5, the Pharisee Gamaliel even recognized that the work of man ultimately fails when it's on its own. He says, if this plan or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. And if we go back to the book of Genesis in the 11th chapter we might remember another story that is often associated with Pentecost. You might remember the Tower of Babel. Some people say Babel. Shortly after the story of the flood, men chose to build for themselves a tower, a ziggurat temple. And the purpose of it was important. Genesis 11, verse 4 says this, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is up in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. Babel was built by man with the intent to make a name for themselves. Yet as the story continues, God confounds their language and they're spread abroad. Just the opposite of what they desired. And just the opposite of what we find at Pentecost. Thus Luke's words, and suddenly there came from heaven, are important. The Spirit comes upon them. What happened that day 2,000 years ago, and what has happened since, is the work of God. The church is not the work of man, but the work of the Spirit of God who comes upon him. God gives to us the Spirit to equip us for his ministry. God gives us the Spirit so that we may labor on His behalf. God gives us the Spirit so that we can be a part of His kingdom. The source is from God, and the name established and built is that of Christ, and no other name. The Spirit comes upon them from heaven, from God. Next, St. Luke describes the sound which came from heaven. He says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. This was no ordinary wind. Our translation says a rushing mighty wind. Some other translations have it as a a violent wind or a mighty windstorm. But whichever translation you look at, they will all agree that the wind of this event was different than just a, a cool breeze. This filled the house. This shook the doorposts, to use the imagery of Isaiah. This caused people to notice. I think most everyone can relate to the storms that roll through the Houston area at times. 
whether it was the hurricane of last fall or Hurricane Ike from 10 years ago or other ones in our lifetimes. Hurricanes and tornadoes and even just gale force winds, these all show forth one thing, the power of wind. And in illustration, the power of God. David, in one of his psalms, Psalm 18, I think it is, describes God's great power. And the way he does it is by describing a mighty storm. And I'm not saying that there was a hurricane or or a tornado in Jerusalem on Pentecost. But the aspect of the rushing mighty wind of the Spirit does convey a sense of the power of the Spirit. Think of those hurricanes again. Think of the news coverage of those types of events. It's always humorous to watch the reporters trying to fight against the wind and stand in there. And it makes you laugh, especially if you're my wife, when they finally lose the battle and they fall to the ground. She loves it when people fall down. I don't know why, but she's always laughing at it. (laughs) You cannot stand or fight against the mighty wind of a tornado or a hurricane. Now, in this imagery... The spirit is conveyed as powerful, powerful enough that it can move men. It can direct men's hearts. No man can resist and fight against the spirit of God. No man can stop the work of the spirit of God. The spirit is powerful and where he wills to blow, he will impact in one way or another. And as we read through the book of Acts, we discover that to be the case. No one could prevent the growth of Christ's church because the Spirit of God moved men as he willed. And we too, like the apostles, rely on that power. I think we're sometimes afraid to be, quote, filled with the Spirit. We associate that more with the Pentecostal movement and we think of things like jumping up and down in the aisles or flopping around or something that's much more chaotic than it is orderly. But to be filled with the Spirit, to have our whole house filled with the Spirit, is really not about those things. It's about being moved and empowered with strength. It's to have confidence. It's to be rooted and grounded knowing that the Spirit which moves in you is mightier than anything that you face. The Spirit moved as a mighty, rushing wind. So we have the source. We have the sound, and lastly, we have the sight. St. Luke says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Two aspects contained in one, both the fire and the cloven tongues. The Spirit comes like fire. What does fire mean? Well, throughout the scripture, fire represents God. When God covenanted with Abraham, God in the form of fire passed through the two halves of the covenant sacrifice. When God first spoke to Moses, he spoke to Moses in the burning bush of fire. In Exodus, we're told that God had descended upon Mount Sinai in fire. Fire descended on Mount Carmel with Elijah. Fire is the presence of God. If you think about it, we use fire with the Paschal candle or with the sanctuary lamp when it has enough oil in it to make it burn bright. (laughs) To symbolize the presence of God the Son, Jesus Christ, amongst us. But it's not just the presence of God. 
But the presence of God as he is in relationship with his people. Fire is a covenantal sign. And as the Spirit descends and sits upon the now-turned apostles, as the Spirit sits upon the church in that upper room in fire, it shows that it is within and through the Spirit-anointed church that people find the fullness of their relationship with God. But we're told not just of fire, but of cloven tongues of fire. And if you want to know where the bishop's mitre gets its shape, it's patterned after this cloven tongue of Pentecost that rested upon the apostles. A cloven tongue, a, a divided or split tongue. What was it that we first encounter in the book of Genesis after the creation account? It's the tempting and the fall of Adam and Eve. And who was it but the split-tongued serpent who entertained Eve in the temptation? The serpent convinced Eve to turn away from God, to doubt his word, to doubt his truth, to doubt his authority, and to turn to herself and her own desires. But now on Pentecost, we have this vision of a cloven tongue engulfed in the fire of God, descending from heaven and lighting upon the disciples. Here the message of the old serpent is replaced with the message of God. The deception of the serpent is now removed and replaced with the truth of God. The message of self-ambition and pride is now the message of God's mercy. The message of sin and rebellion and death is replaced with the message of forgiveness and peace and life. The message of disunity and disharmony is now the message of unity. This message is God's message. As Jesus himself said of the Spirit, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And again, Jesus said, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. Beloved, on Pentecost, we celebrate the person of the Holy Spirit. In source, in sound, in sight, we're taught that he is the Spirit of God which equips us for the building up of the name of Christ. We're anointed with power from heaven as God's own people. And that is only by the sending of the Holy Spirit. That is what we celebrate today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.